Hi, welcome to our second podcast. On today's episode, we're speaking with Mr. Gaurav Hindudia, who is the co-founder of Capital Float. Capital Float is currently one of India's most valued fintech companies. Mr. Gaurav finished his MBA and graduated from the Stanford Graduate School of Business in 2012, and he then co-founded Capital Float shortly after in 2013. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us, sir. It's great to have you on our platform. Thank you, Ishan. Thank you for having me. So. to begin our podcast and start start with the basics for our audience could you please briefly describe the difference between bnpl and a regular credit card slash emi provided by banks sure so bnpl stands for buy now pay later uh, basically it is a credit product that allows customers to buy goods or services online in an instant real time manner and split up those payments into emis anywhere ranging from one emi of 30 days all the way up to about 12 12 installments the key differentiation is a few things one it is completely cardless so there is no physical form factor here the second it happens in real time at the point of checkout so as you are exiting or checking out a transaction on e-commerce platforms you have the ability to get approved by capital float in under a few seconds and use the line of credit to check out for all your purchase needs third the the refunds if there are any cancellations happen in real time unlike a credit card or debit card that typically take 5 to 7 days fourth it is a one click checkout so there is no two factor authentication which makes the product even more convenient for the user these are just some of the key features and how it is different from a typical credit card right thank you for that that makes sense So Capital Floor is currently one of the leading fintech companies in India and that's an incredible achievement. So how is your journey with Capital Floor been and what challenges did you face while starting up especially at a time when fintech was still relatively new to India? So Ishan we started Capital Floor 7 years ago uh, in early 2014 even before fintech was actually a word. Right. Uh, you know there are a few challenges that when we first started off. The first was actually convincing people both investors and the community at large that you could actually originate financial services and particularly loans in an online digital manner and not have a typical physical process like a bank does i think people found that pretty hard to believe for the first few months and almost year and as a result it took us a long time to raise our first round of funding because people didn't genuinely believe that online financial services and particularly online credit uh, would ever be a thing in india uh, so that was the first challenge that we had was convincing investors employees and other stakeholders that this was a massive opportunity the second challenge would be in terms of just the digital infrastructure rails that existed in the country so when we were starting up in early 2014 you didn't have uh, uh, the india stack which was you know the aadhaar the kyc stack upi etc back in 2014 there were talks around it but nothing had been really launched and while it was an exciting path ahead it was unclear how some of this would actually play out and so we were the first ones to actually even pilot and do a 90 second loan with the india stack team almost 6 years ago but when we were getting started we just had the belief that there would be digital infra rails but how it would play out how upi would play out how the india stack would actually play out was a bit of a black box 
and uh, it was difficult to really design product strategies uh, without knowing a bunch of these things. I think the third thing was uh, just in terms of internet penetration, e-commerce penetration, and and digital penetration. Right? Uh, obviously, in the last two three years, this has changed drastically with Geo and a lot of e-commerce companies that have come in uh, or into the country over the last few years. But again, in 2014, Amazon was just starting up in the country. There was no geo. And so even smartphone penetration was a bit of a question mark, right? So this was another challenge as to how we would overcome some of these issues. Also, since you started Capital Float at a time when FinTech was still new to India, did you face any challenges with respect to laws and regulations? Regulations is something that you can't really, you know, ignore. You are in a regulated business in India and financial services. And we believe that it is imperative for all fintech founders to follow the letter of the law and the spirit as well. And so while regulation is hard to, I would say, do at times and requires a lot of work, it is something that can never be ignored. And you just have to build the right set of capabilities and muscles to make sure that you do that right from the get go. Right. Thank you for that. I think Jovan has a follow up question to that. Yes, sir. So you talked about difficulties with funding, and that's something that's prevalent in the fintech space. You know, any new fintech company has trouble with funding. So how exactly did you convince your early investors about your business model? You know, it doesn't seem like today fintech companies have any trouble getting funding. But back then, uh, you know, we spoke to almost, uh, I think we must have spoken to at least about 20 investors. And finally, we were able to convince one, which was Asparta, which was our first investor. I think what worked with them was the fact that we were lending to SMEs and uh, they were also had, they were a fund that was pretty focused in terms of impact and social impact that credit could bring to small and medium businesses, um, as well as the impact it could have at a national and a country level. And so I think while uh, the investment happened, I'm not sure that the entire focus of the investment was around tech and tech enabled growth. Uh, it was some of that, but obviously more of, you know, how does credit penetration happen in a country and create impact at that all levels. Yes, that, that makes sense because in 2020 or 2021, it might be, might be easy, but back in 2014, that sounds like a difficult task. So like you mentioned that BNPL services are more accessible than traditional credit. How exactly do BNPL companies keep their default rates down? Yeah, so that's something that's been actually uh, a great area of focus and improvement for us over the last 18 months. Uh, when we started BNPL almost two and a half years ago, we started with NPAs of almost 6 to 7%. And through the last 18 months, despite COVID, we've actually been able to bring down our loss rates to about 1%, uh, which is probably the best uh, NPS for any unsecured product, BNPL or otherwise in the country today. Now, a few things that obviously helped us through this journey in getting these loss rates down. One is better underwriting, right? How do you collect better data sources from the customer, whether it's from own proprietary sources or you build better models from data that you get on the bureau, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, how do you get a lot of these data sources and use models to improve the accuracy and the AUCs on these models? The second is really uh, in terms of being smart and digital in terms of collections. And so we built our own in-house technology stack to be able to build uh, and have efficient collection callers to be able to predict who is going to go bad, 
and uh, what is the best strategy to help recover money from them. And that has had a huge impact in terms of how we've improved collections over the last 18 months. And the third is just in terms of repeat behavior, right? Because BNPL is a product where customers use it quite frequently in a month with every additional purchase or additional transaction that a, a customer gets, uh, that a customer does, we get more data on them and that in, improves our models further and becomes, uh, you know, uh, uh, helps us maintain our loss ratios where they should be. Right. Okay. Yeah, that helps us understand the system better. So COVID has managed to change BNPL and the spending and saving habits. And we were wondering if you could give us more insight on how that has been affected. Yeah, so, you know, because of COVID, like I said, we've seen three things. One is we have seen massive growth and adoption of this product over the last 18 months. So pre-COVID, we were at less than half a million customers. And today we are sitting at over two and a half million customers. So we've essentially added almost two million customers over the last, I would say, 15 to 18 months. And the reason for this is I think people have, have really liked the convenience that this product offers. Uh, the fact that their behaviors have changed more from shopping offline to online. And third, they are getting access to credit in a very seamless, efficient manner that they typically wouldn't get. And so these are the three reasons why I believe people are really enjoying this product and this is growing the way we are actually seeing it grow. And I think from here on, we should be adding at least 150 to 200,000 customers per month. And I don't see any dip in the growth that we've seen at all. In fact, it's only going to go higher um, that, uh, uh, for the next 12 to 18 months and, and from there on as well. I think the second thing is, like I mentioned earlier, is just in terms of how we view our NPS. And while a lot of the lenders in the country have seen stress in NPS, in this particular product, we have actually drastically reduced the NPS. And that's been um, a great testament to how we actually underwrite risk and how do we collect. Okay. Uh, so we're also suddenly seeing traditional banking systems enter BNPL. HDFC has FlexiPay and other banks are also trying to penetrate into this field. What are your thoughts about that and how would that affect the future of the NPL system? I see a lot of the banks that are entering the space are essentially entering it from a point of view of how do they provide an additional feature for their existing customers. Right. So if you're an existing HDFC customer, you can get access to this product or pay later on some of their partner websites. The way we do it is actually unique, which I don't believe anybody else is doing today is how do we really underwrite and acquire new customers at the point of checkout? And that is something that is very, very critical because it's not just an existing add-on feature for our existing customers. It is every new customer is being underwritten while they are shopping and while they are checking out in a matter of seconds. And I think, uh, while it is definitely an interesting play for the banks, I think the way we view it as a very collaborative approach where we actually coordinate our loans uh, with a couple of banks. And I think while we bring a lot of the technology and the underwriting skill sets, the banks obviously bring um, a lot of capital and cost of capital advantages. And so there's a complete win-win if we were to partner and as we partner as between fintechs and banks as we scale this product. Okay, thank you for explaining the difference and how the collaborative nature would work. Our next question is, what are your views on BNPL in India and the trends that you're seeing globally? 
Yeah, so obviously you guys have seen the global trends, right? The growth of BNPL in Australia, in Europe and US have been through the roof uh, with companies like Affirm, Klarna and, and the latest one, Afterpay, that just got acquired by Square. So obviously there's been tremendous growth uh, globally. And I don't think India is any exception at all. Uh, like I demonstrated from the numbers, we are seeing massive growth as well. And India is a country which has, you know, has only about 25 to 30 unique, sorry, 25 to 30 million unique credit cards. And the growth rate on this product has been very minimal over the last many years uh, because of the physical nature in which a credit card is acquired. Uh, but as BNPL scales, I think this, as a country, we may even leapfrog to a large extent credit cards. And I, I see uh, us at least getting to about a 10 million customer base over the next two to three years. And as a country, I would say at least 100 million customers will be on BNPL in the next five years. Thank you for that, sir. I think uh, Tanish has a follow-up question now. So he'll be asking you that. Uh, yes. Uh, so you mentioned how your, like, your company was forward-looking in regards to the development of the Indian identification stack and how fast your underwriting process is and loan approval process is. So I just want to ask if you could uh, like maybe spend a few minutes discussing what future tech or like regulatory tech are you investing in um, to, add, to add more features? Uh, I think, you know, a big one for us going forward is really how do we make the process of repayments a lot more easier? So a lot has happened over the last few years, you know, in terms of how do you make the repayment of loan easier? So if you remember a few years ago, people would repay via cash, check or ECS. But in the last few years, I would say in the last two years, a lot of that has happened through an electronic NATCH form. And what we are just piloting is uh, how do you use UPI, the auto collect, um, as the next futuristic kind of repayment product, where even repayments becomes a one click for the customer. And the entire seamless nature of this is something that is really exciting for us. I think the second thing is really how do you, you know, how do you keep uh, pushing the envelope? when it comes to using new models for underwriting and because this is something that only gets better with more and more data and how do you use obviously machine learning etc uh, not just as a buzzword but more importantly to kind of get better and unique insights into underwriting and into customer behavior and the third is really how do you work and integrate with partners because ultimately uh, the merchant is also your customer here and so partnering with a merchant, the level of integration you need with a merchant, how seamless you can make this. I think these are some of the three or four key areas that we are focusing on uh, over the next 12 to 18 months. Right. Thank you. Thank you, sir. So I have one question. We want to know your opinion on whether, you know, we're uh, somehow approaching a fintech bubble. I mean, I don't know if I'm honestly qualified enough to say whether it's a bubble or not a bubble but i would just say that the opportunity is massive there are some amazing companies uh, that have you know obviously being scaled over the last couple of years and and every day there's some amazing companies and founders that are attacking different problems within the fintech world so i'm actually very excited as to what the future holds now will this spree of fundraising continue i'm sure it will continue in some shape or form at the same pace that remains to be seen but i don't i i actually think fintech and financial services is essential in a country like india if india has to achieve like a seven to ten percent growth rate for the next decade so as an opportunity we are still very underpenetrated, and and i see actually many more fintech companies being born with every passing month 
I think in many ways India is actually far ahead of its counterparts in the West when it comes to payment infrastructure rails, right? I think most countries don't have a a, a function or a system like UPI, uh, like the EKYC, India Stack, Aadhaar, etc. Right? So I think we are far ahead of most countries, and the level of innovation not just at the startup founder level, but at the banks, at the institution level, and even at the government level. It's been amazing to see what the last, you know, three to four years has been able to bring about. Absolutely. So much for taking the time to speak with us today. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you for having me here. Thank you. Thanks.